Hey guys, and welcome to episode 18 of the Game Explain Real Talk podcast. Uh, today it's just uh, me and Andre. Derek, unfortunately, is busy today. He's, he's being lame. Yeah, yeah he's, being, <laughs> no, he's, he's being lame. He's, he's hard to work on part two of the analysis, which will be going up either later today or tomorrow, or in the past, depending on when you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess it'll be... Well, he had the analysis of the trailer go up yesterday. And he's still working, you know, slaving away on Pokemon Sun and Moon, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and and we're we're fairly sure that Nintendo does these things to coincide with our schedule directly. Oh yeah, I mean, well, of course, directly. That's the, the Nintendo motto, right? <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, direct. It is indeed. Yeah. Well, uh, so what have you been up to this past week, Andre? So last night I started uh, after finishing Uncharted Four. Uh, and having our discussion about it and thinking back on Uncharted 2, I'm like, I want to go back and try Uncharted 2 again. Nice. And I played through uh, the opening chapter last night and got to the stealth section, which I, which I, I didn't forget, but I did. I mean, that chapter sucks, <laughs> and so I just gave up then. I need to push past the second chapter. You know, when you're going through the what, the museum or whatever. Yeah, or, yeah. Which is by far, as I recall, the worst part of that game. Um. So yeah, I want to keep going and see. And just see how it stacks up to my memory of it. But I will say I was surprised. It was, we talked about before like how I, I thought the I mean, the old games looked fantastic when they came out. Uh, yeah. However, they definitely held up better in my mind than they do going back to them. Or at least the second one. But after playing Uncharted 4, my God. Like, going back to Uncharted yeah. 2, it's like early level Pixar. Well, that's like, like, that's really, that's a, that's a rough comparison to make. I mean, everything compared to Uncharted 4 looks kind of kind of trashy. Yeah, I mean, that, that's true. Uh, I just remember Uncharted 2, like, looking amazing when it came out. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, this time well, has you, not been incredibly kind to it now. Did you play it on PS3, or are you playing on the Nathan Drake collection? I was playing the collection. Okay, interesting, because, you know, I, I just replayed all three games on the Nathan Drake collection. But before you played Uncharted 4, though, right? Before Uncharted 4, yeah. and I thought they all looked, you know, they all aged really well. I was surprised. So maybe I should go back and try to play them again, or at least, you know, kind of mess around with them just it's, to see if I still feel that way. It's mostly in the cutscenes where the differences stand out I the can most. see that. Yeah. I can see that being the case, because um, the character models are just so much less advanced. Yeah, the character models, the animation definitely is a little bit jankier, too. Like, it's not smooth. Um, as it is in Char Four, so like I actually, it gives it gives me a better appreciation for Char Four's visuals as well. It's like, damn, this is actually a much bigger jump than I remembered it being. So yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the everything about the visuals in that game is just so unbelievably impressive, and and the character models, it honestly does look like you're watching real people a lot of the time. It does, yeah, they did a great great job with that. I mean, it really does at times. Uh, not to the same degree, but like it does remind me of looking at like a Pixar movie, which looks realistic but also stylized yeah. at the same time. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I think it's it's weird. It does it does kind of drop into that uncanny valley at times, especially with Elena. I found, mm-hmm. but but it doesn't. It, it it actually does a pretty respectable job of, of avoiding or, or spending too much time in the uncanny valley. Yeah, like they really do come off as looking pretty realistic a oh, lot I, of the time. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think I think yeah. for the most part they avoid it. It's actually more. The weird thing is for me, going back to Uncharted 2, that's where I see it more now. But I'm so used to like that really fluid animation, and now yeah. like you can see like when they're talking in, in Uncharted 2, for instance, um, like their mouths like don't affect anything else in their face, basically. Oh <laughs> so, yeah, like, you don't see the skin stretching or anything, so it looks it looks. I mean, or at least not anywhere close to the same degree. I mean, so I mean, I, it sounds like I'm really harping on Uncharted 2. Like again, at, for its time, it was amazing, but going back, it's like damn, this is a huge step back. So. Well, we, we, we've already found the title for our, our podcast this week. Andre hates Uncharted 2. 
Uh, Andre oh claims God. Uncharted 2 worst game ever made. Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I actually still really want to play further into it though because I do remember the pacing of that game being much better. However, I also I'm also a little concerned that I may have reached a point just with the series in general. Like I mentioned how I didn't like the platforming in Uncharted 4 or Yeah. And that and I think that's something I've felt to some degree with all the Uncharted games, but it mattered less originally but I felt more uh inspired, you know, or it felt not, maybe not inspired, but it felt more original. Like with the Uncharted Two was really my first Uncharted game. Like that's what I really played sure. all the way through. So I didn't mind it then, especially with how well the pacing was and everything else they did. Uh, I think going back to it though might be a little bit tough. You know, once I play it a little bit further, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll maybe I'll hold up. Um, well, I, I hope it does. So I'll be curious to see what you think when you get to the train, you know, chapters because that that of course is held up as one of the most defining moments of the entire Uncharted series. Right. And I felt it held up when I played it before Uncharted Four came out. Um, you know, I, I was blown away by it back when I first played it, and I really thought the train sequence held up. So, you know, I'll be curious to see what you think when you get there. Yeah, if, yeah, same here. I, I remember loving that chapter. So, and I, I still, I still don't think that any like discovering any of the lost cities, like nothing has compared to the wonder I felt when I first saw Shambhala for the first time. Like nothing else in the series in terms of the lore. I think like you know Henry Avery stuff that was cool, and and Libertali, it was pretty cool discovering it, but. Shambhala was so well designed and so perfectly thought out in terms of what it looked like, I thought, and the mm-hmm. the, the rain, the, the way, everything just felt there. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, they had, there was like one little moment that in Uncharted 4 that was close to that. Well, mm-hmm. as close as the game got, <laughs> but I yeah. agree. Nothing quite compared to discovering that in Uncharted 2. Like, um, like Shambhala really felt like a, a sacred, long-lost city. Did. They really sold that feeling of it being like this long-lost utopia, you know? There was just something about that game in general, I think. It just yeah. really hit on, hit it on, at the time, like pretty much every major point. Like, it, everything came together and felt greater than uh, the sum of its parts, which is saying something that every part was awesome as well. So, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, like, just tonally, and they just nailed everything in that in that game. So. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. How about you? What have you been up to? I've been playing the other big PlayStation release, which is Ratchet & Clank. Uh, having finished Uncharted 4, I went back to Ratchet & Clank. I, I started it before Uncharted came out, and now I'm going back to it. And, mm-hmm. man, what a fun game. I mean, De- Derek's totally right. I-, I can absolutely see why he was so excited about this game uh, when he played it at E3 last year. It's just, it's really just a, re- it's, it's a traditionally fun video game. You know, it's doesn't take itself too seriously. It's a great run-and-gun kind of 3D action platformer. The, the, all the guns are super fun to use. I would say the one major downfall is that it's not even, like, 10% as funny as it thinks it is. Like, you can tell that, that, that Ratchet & Clank thinks it's the most hilarious <laughs> game, and it really isn't. I, like, I the did he- ca- yeah. I've never actually played a game in the series, but I watched one of my friends play through some of them, uh, and I, I kind of got the same sense from it from yeah. the earlier games. Like, it feels like they're trying a little bit too hard, right? Way too hard. Like, yeah. the humor is so lame, and it falls so flat, and it's like you can't help but feel a little bad for it. It's just, <laughs> it's it's so embarrassingly not I mean, funny. To be fair, it almost seems like they're going, it almost seems like they're going for, they're skewing, like, younger, right? Like, almost they're hitting Oh, that it's a, it's absolutely aimed at kids. Yeah, yeah, it's totally, well, I don't know, like, not they're not aiming at super young kids, because the game's hard enough that I don't think super young kids could really play it. But, hey, we used to play Zelda and that's true. Man yeah. and all that stuff. That's true, but I, I feel like the standards have gone down, well, don't, don't, don't you? Yeah, I mean, in terms of like difficulty and what kids are expected to deal with. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. Like I, I feel like it's aimed at kind of like a prepubescent, you know, maybe young teen audience. And 
that's fine, but I've seen a lot of cartoons and stuff that are aimed at, also aimed at the audience that are actually really funny and don't necessarily fall flat. So, right. you know, I just think it's kind of like the kind of humor that Ratchet and Clank goes for, but that's such a small part of the overall experience. I mean, it's still, the characters are fun, and the game itself is a blast. It really is. And uh, it looks great. You know, I would say, obviously, next to Uncharted 4, you know, it doesn't look nearly as incredible, but take that out of the equation, and I would say it's one of the best-looking games out there. Uncharted 4 really did a number on the gaming landscape. When it it really did. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you take Uncharted 4 out, I think Ratchet & Clank looks fantastic, and really, it is one of the best-looking games on the PS4, but right. Uncharted 4 just, you know, it, it eclipses everything. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that's... I should give those games a shot sometime, so... You know, you might like it. It's, it's kind of got that Banjo-Kazooie aesthetic of, you know, big googly-eyed characters. <laughs> the, the worlds are... It's, it's obviously a little more hard-edged in terms of how sci-fi it is. It's not, you know... It's much more sci-fi than Banjo-Kazooie, which isn't sci-fi at all. But it's got those colorful, cartoony uh, worlds. It's kind of got the overall aesthetic. Did you forget about the amusement park and its UFO mission? I did. Uh, I, I didn't forget about, about the, the amusement park. What's it called? It's, uh... Oh, Grunty's... Gr- Grunty... Wor- Grunty... It's not Grunty World. It's something... I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember either. Grunty yeah. Land? Yeah, no, I have no idea. Man. Got it. Witchy World. It's Witchy That's World, it. There right? we go. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, nice. Of course, the yeah. alliteration. I was like, I was like, like yeah, it's rare. It has to be. I was like, it can't be Grunty Land. That doesn't sound like something rare would design. But, <laughs> we were uh, close, though. Surprisingly close. Yeah, that's true. But I'd, um, I couldn't... I couldn't live with myself for forgetting that, though, because I... Banjo-Tooie... I, I actually love almost as much as Banjo-Tooie, so I'm like, I have to remember that part of my childhood. You know what's weird? I didn't... I didn't the first time through. I didn't think I held up nearly as well, or I didn't think it was nearly as good as Banjo Kazooie. I thought it was. Mm-hmm. It tried to do too much. It was too big. Too yeah. many collectibles. Um, it was too confusing. Too many moves. Like there was just too much in it. Yeah. However, which to be fair, was called Banjo Tooie. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when I went back and played it, since I had some memory of what to do, it made the experience so much better. So, I still think on the first time through, Banjo-Kazooie is unquestionably, to me at least, the better experience. But mm. upon replaying, Banjo-Tooie actually is pretty good. Uh, I actually liked it a lot more than I expected to the second time through. I play on the Xbox Live the second time through. Me too, and that helped a lot as well. I mean, the, the, the Xbox uh, Live Arcade ports of those games are so good. They are fantastic. They did a really good job with them. Like, they, it's still exa- it's exactly as you remember it. Yeah. Um, which is great because when you go back and actually play the 64 ones, like oh, they actually did step it up a bit. You know, they the enhanced resolution, and everything is, um, it really does make it look better. But it looks like how you remember it looking, and that's what I want. Yeah, kind of so. like the Ocarina of Time 3D and the Majora's Mask 3D remakes. Yeah, pretty much exactly. So I mean, I, I would say the, those two uh, Xbox Live Arcade ports are like the poster children for what like up upscaled high res in 64 ports should look like. What about Perfect Dark? Oh, Perfect Dark as well. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, that that's also kind of almost in the same swath because it's another rare HD remake. Well, they were all done by, um, was it 4, 4J Studios? Is it 4J? I think that's their name. Okay. Well, they need to do more <laughs> N64 ports then because, yeah, those are fantastic. Yeah, they did, yeah, they did an awesome job. Um, actually, I'm not sure. Yeah, that, that was it was 4J Studios. So, yeah, I okay. know. It, it looks like they've been just doing a bunch of Minecraft stuff recently. They should get off Minecraft, go back to porting rare stuff. Exactly. Although, I guess they did have... Um, the whole rare, or maybe they didn't, but there was a whole rare collection. Which, if I get an Xbox One, I'm definitely gonna pick up at some point. So, yeah, I, it's weird. It, it's funny how Microsoft was, was. They even came out and said they weren't really opposed to it coming to other platforms. It, it, it never will, of course, but it would be, be nice if it, if it did. did. 
Huh? That'd be amazing if it did. Yeah, I mean, I it, it would be great to see it come to at least PS4. I think you know Wii U at this point is kind of it's just hard to hard to really see anything else coming to Wii U other than what we already know is coming. Unfortunately, but well, what, if you honestly go by that tweet from uh, Noe that everyone is taking as confirmation as Mario Mario Kart 8 DLC. So yeah, that that was something we were debating about doing a discussion on because Nintendo of Europe tweeted uh, out a random picture of Calamari Desert from Mario Kart 64 saying good things come to those who wait. Like and then they and hashtag then they MK8. Yeah. yeah, then they hashtag Mario Kart 8 which makes even less sense. So it's like okay, do we possibly believe this is indication more DLC and report on it as news and get people's hopes up or it, do we just take it as the pro- the nothing that it probably is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. I mean, I think it'd be more fun as a discussion just to use it as a launching off point for one more DLC we'd love to see. Even though, I think, yeah, and we've done that before, but I have a few new ideas I, I would like to see in the game. But yeah, I don't think it's anything. I think it's just Noe yeah. making a stupid, you know, a, a silly joke with a mis- with an inappropriate image in the hashtag. Yeah. Well, I think we already we already kind of covered the definitive you know DLC for Mario Kart Eight that has yet to come out, and that's obviously. Calamari Desert with Callie and Marie as playable characters. Oh man, that'd be amazing. That, oh, that almost makes too much sense, right? <laughs> it really just the, the Calamari pack, and that's it. That so like good. how how pe- how pissed would people be at, at the same time? It's a so cool. actual Splatoon track and just get Calamari Desert. I know, yeah, yeah, or a Splatoonified Calamari Desert. That actually was one of my favorite stages in the sixty four ones. So I'd totally be down with that. I would be too, and I just think it'd be really it would be a random one off like you know it's not even a new pack it's just one track and two Splatoon <laughs> characters and then you're done. That actually would be amazing. It would be hilarious because yeah. no one would know what to think of it. <laughs> like where would you even put the single track? Like it wouldn't even fit into any of the existing. You know, like would it just be his own Grand Prix? Just yeah, exactly. Four times? Yeah, the Calamari Grand Prix is perfect. <laughs> All right, that needs to happen now. Actually, That'd be cool. yeah, no, totally, just that by itself. Exactly, I'm down. Let's do it. Well. On that note, shall we move on to the news? I think we should. All right. Well, I think in uh, news that's really surprising to nobody, Nintendo is bringing more to E3 than just Zelda. Isn't that surprising, though? Because, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising, but it sounded like Nintendo was going all in on the Zelda front. And at this point, you know, I mean, they, they had only said, okay, they had only said before Zelda, they said Zelda would be the only playable game. But then they also announced that Zelda, you know, they'd have Zelda, they'd kick things off with the Zelda stream on Tuesday, I believe, uh, right. which we now know is no longer the case because they're now kicking off with Pokemon Sun and Moon before they right. move on to Zelda. So it already, it shows a clear change in plans, um, I think. Well, does it, though? Because, I mean, I mean, I had always kind of assumed that their you know, at, at E3 on-floor experience would be all Zelda, but then for the Treehouse streams, they would probably be using the, you know, that to focus on other games. I never really quite believed that it would be all Zelda on the floor and all Zelda on, on the Treehouse. So I mean, as far as we knew, we only knew there was there was one day of e- of Zelda confirmed for for the Treehouse. We even though there were going to be more Treehouse streams, right? Um, and they very heavily implied it was only going to be Zelda on day one, um, especially because they said they're kicking off with Zelda, which that that itself is no longer true. They're kicking off kicking off Pokemon Sun and Moon, right? So I think that does signify a change in plans, um, to some degree at least. Maybe they always had maybe they had always planned to show off. A few other games. Um, we now know there's a day two as well of the Treehouse stream where they can show off other games as well, like Tokyo Mirage. Um, I can't remember the others. Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what else? There was others. There were a couple oh, other God. games in there. Oh, well, God. Well, both Pokemon Sun and Moon and Pokemon Go. Uh, yeah, there's Pokemon Go Q&A, I think. I, I assume they'll probably cover Paper Mario Color Splash. They didn't say they would, though. They didn't say it'd be there. That's so weird. I know. 
I mean, that's the thing. Like this, this whole year is so different for Nintendo. They're still not having a digital digital event. So right. I mean, and that would be the thing one would expect them to do. So I don't know. This whole thing is bizarre. I mean, it may be. It is. So I wonder, like, is the Pokemon stuff going to be pre-recorded? Maybe. Like, will that be the closest we get to a digital event? Open up with a pre-recorded Pokemon segment before going into the uh, live Zelda segment. God, what what a! It would be kind of a bummer to have the first ever live gameplay. Well, no, I think they actually called it live gameplay. Oh, did they for Pokemon? I think they did. Yeah. So I feel like that'll actually be live. Yeah, it's very different this year. Yeah, another one they're going to focus a lot on, uh, from what I remember, is Dragon Quest Seven for 3DS. Mm-hmm. So that's that. That was one of the ones they kind of specifically talked about was going to be on the Treehouse stream. Right. So you know, I mean, n- no real surprises. Uh, obviously, I mean, that, that's what I think the, the weirdest part of all this is. Is they're they're. I'm not really surprised that they're going to be showing off other games in the Treehouse stream. I that didn't really uh, that they had to do that. But what's going to be more disappointing is that they're really. I don't think there are going to be any, any surprises. They're not really making any announcements at E3 other than Zelda, which we already obviously know exists and we know at least a little about. So that's the weirdest part I think for me is that we're not going to have that experience of walking into the show floor and seeing that you know one or two titles that they didn't really talk about in the direct that like they're just total. Complete and total surprises, mm-hmm. you know, and that's gonna that's gonna be a shame. Yeah, there. I mean, but who knows? I mean, if there's going to be surprise. They wouldn't really announce that beforehand. That's right? that's true as well. I just <laughs> I, I should say, I you know, in previous years, you can almost expect a surprise or two from you know from everyone at E3, and or at least all the all the big players. And this year, it you know, if there's going to be a surprise, I guess it'll come off even better because we've been told not to expect one. But you know, this year Nintendo's like basically saying, "Here's what we're doing." Don't expect anything else. Well, we were told not to expect anything against Beyond Zelda either, basically. Yeah. I mean, maybe not explicitly, but it was implied, and now we have that too. Um, yeah. But I am inclined to think what they've announced now is basically all we're going to get, but I yeah. also have no idea. It seems like Nintendo doesn't even know fully what they're doing sometimes. And I mean, I mean, especially these days, because there have been, there's been so much less communication with fans through directs and such than there has been in the past. Yeah. It really does seem like Nintendo's in kind of like a chaotic, scrambling just seems like they're in scramble mode. They, they they don't really seem to have a cohesive vision right now to communicate to fans at all. And their messaging hasn't been clear at all, um, or as clear as it should be. I mean, given the, I mean, you've, we've seen how many outlets, I mean, including us, are reporting that. Well, everyone is reporting that Zelda is going to be the only playable game, right? Um, and so everyone is taking that as you know, Zelda is going to be the only game at E3, and Nintendo did nothing to counter that that reaction. Uh, they, and they could have clarified. They couldn't even clarify that news after, and that's why I think this is a recent change in plans. Yeah. It's only now that we're finding out there's going to be a little bit more at E3. And even then, let's be real, it's not that exciting. Tokyo Mirage Sessions are already out in Japan. Yeah, have already seen the bulk of that game. I mean, at least you can if you want. Right. Um, and I think there were a couple other games they, they mentioned uh, they'll be showing off, but nothing, nothing groundbreaking as you know, or nothing that surprising as you mentioned. I mean, for me, it still is, is a Zelda focused show. It's Zelda and now Pokemon. Those right. are going to be. They're really. Those are the two tent poles, and that really seems to be it. Um, because yeah. everything else is waiting for them to announce the NX, and which will finally come later this year. But you know, who knows what we're going to find out then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, one thing that w- will be nice is that we can finally stop referring to this damn game as Zelda Wii U. I'm looking forward to being able to refer to it as a proper title. Hope like I'm you know, with hope. <laughs> well, I, that's true. Knowing Nintendo, they probably would. Yeah, well, sorry, we're not ready to, ready to reveal the name quite yet. Yeah, so right. just we'll be keep calling it Zelda Wii U and NX for a while longer. <laughs> but I, I feel like they can't blow open the game and not give us the title of it. Yeah, I, I, you, I mean, you're right. 
I would think that too, but Nintendo's yeah. time and time again, they can do whatever they want, and I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but apparently they can do it without too much concern. Yeah, really. Do, do you think that uh, the title will be based on whatever that mysterious book that Link has been carrying oh, yeah. around? I, yeah. I think that's a safe assumption. It has to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or at least something related to that book. You know, maybe not yeah. the book itself, but whatever that book ties into, whether yeah. like an ancient civilization, who 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 knows, but... yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I, I am very curious to know what this title is going to be. At this point, I'm so used to just calling it Zelda Wii U. Um, but actually, you know, that, that actually is a good point. But they have to, they really do have to announce the name now because we know Zelda NX is coming. They can't right. keep calling this game Zelda Wii U with the NX version coming as well. Right. So that that really is more it, I think. But um, again, this is Nintendo. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. Cool. Well, speaking of Nintendo, um, there's a fresh new rumor about the NX. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, that uh, basically kind of suggests what uh, you have been, uh, we, but also especially you have been saying all along, which is that it would be a handheld device that can connect to your TV and then thusly played as a console, have a, have a five to seven inch screen uh, built in. And what's really interesting about this is now uh, Digitimes is claiming that its uh, mass production is being delayed a little bit for them to add in VR. Well, uh, more specifically, which, I think they I think they were saying the delay. Well, it wasn't an official delay, but the, no, the game the system coming out in March now of next year is the delay that ties into the. VR oh, delay. is is that there? Okay, I thought that maybe that, not that there were any further delays on our end, but that maybe they pushed back mass production just a little more to implement VR. No, I think my but, I, I think my impression was that it was they were talking about the delay from 2016 to 2020. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, and if that's if that's the case, that's curious because Nintendo has never been one to follow popular trends. What about the uh, Virtual Boy or the 3DS 3D feature? I don't think well, with the 3DS 3D, I don't think it, 3D was really the end thing at the time. It was oh, something they you're wanted forgetting. to do. Was you're, it? You're, you're forgetting, dude. 3D was huge. 3D TV, yeah. This was right after Avatar. Yeah. Right, that's true. I just, I don't know. I never really felt like the 3DS was trying to capitalize on some crazy 3D trend. What? As much. Are you kidding me? That's I don't know, because I think mainly because it's stereoscopic 3D and not 3D glasses, you know? Well, well maybe that's the sort of reason it exists, but that's the sort of reason that they added that feature. But it was apparently a right. late addition to the, to the system. Um, from right, yeah, that's true. Well, then, yeah, then, then maybe that, that's a good way to look at it. I just never... Because the 3D was never that popular, and 3D never really you're, took off in I think, mass... I think you're kind of, like, meshing the whole, like... The, like the whole like last several years like the whole like I, maybe I, I am yeah I mean if you go back to like when the system when they're working on the system and like when it actually right. came out and well I guess it came out 2011 when they announced it in 2010 3D was like it was kind of like a zeitgeist around 3D then um, there was lots of news stories about like 3D TVs and 3D movies that's true yeah, yeah. I just I mean I feel like almost as it soon as quickly. 3DS came I mean, out it, it died so quickly yeah it did and then, and then the, the minority became people like me who actually do love the 3D and use it, and and everyone else keeps it turned off. Yeah, I mean, um, with, with so yeah, said, maybe I, I, I maybe I'm misremembering. Nintendo's not usually want to chase trends, but they're not immune to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, this just seems a little too on the nose for them. Like that. I, I mean, I guess maybe that this is them in panic mode. So mm-hmm. you know, maybe this is them throwing in the towel and saying, "Hey, you know what? We like to do our own thing, but." The kids really love VR these, you know, today. That's what the big thing is. We should make sure that that our system is compatible with it too, just in case. I mean, and, I, I think that's it. A lot of people are interpreting this rumor. First off, I want to say I have no idea this rumor is true or not. Yeah, I'm leaning toward it rest not do. being. Yeah, um, but entertain the notion that it is. A lot of people are interpreting it as, oh, Nintendo's making a VR machine. Like it'll you'll play VR with it out of the gate. I don't think that's not my takeaway from this at all. No, Again, me if we give it 
credibility. I think it's just Nintendo hedging their bets, making the system so it's powerful enough to handle VR. Um, maybe, you know, it just it, maybe upgrading the specs, for instance, or making it so that it has the proper outputs. Who knows? I don't think it's going to ship as a VR machine, but maybe they want to hedge their bets, being like, you know, maybe there is a potential future here. We should make our system at least capable of it if we if we see PSVR take off or something, right? right? So that's the way I interpret it. It'll, it'll it'll be interesting to see if their VR experience is compromised in, in any way because we don't really know the final specs of the of the NX yet, and I'm not one to care too much about the power of what's under the hood. I think you know I think the best looking Wii U games look far better than anything I would ever need. But that said, if you know VR requires a ton of horsepower, like a ton, just a ton of it. So you know if if rumors are to be believed that the standard launch PS4. Uh, would have trouble running PSVR as compared to the PS4 Neo, then it does make you wonder where NX falls in all this. So, yeah, a lot of people... I mean, that that's true. Like, the Vive takes a lot of horsepower. But then right. if you look at the lower end of the market, you have things like... Uh, oh, I forget what it's called. Is it Samsung's Gear? The Gear VR or whatever? Yeah, but like, I mean, but lower end VR, though, that's not something that a lot of people really like. Like low end VR. This is, is Nintendo. A, they they like they don't like or they they tend to do low end things. I yeah, mean, that's the, true. The Wii's yeah. motion control, like in hindsight, was completely rudimentary. Well, like, until the Motion Plus came out. Well, I mean, just I mean, just from a technology standpoint, they could have used, they could have incorporated the gyroscope originally. They chose true. not to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a very like they were using. I mean, Nintendo has a history of using old technology in new ways, and I give them full credit for it. But when you look back on the Wii's initial release like that the original Rio mode wasn't that capable like it was cool and impressive at the time right um, just because it hadn't been done before really but it was pretty rudimentary technology um so i i wouldn't like i wouldn't rule out the idea of nintendo shooting for a more low-end vr device especially if we are dealing with a handheld which who knows if we are it's just something i've thrown out that they could be right um it would make sense to sh- that it's a lower end experience a, a lot something closer to what a phone would provide than what PSVR right. would. Like, something that you could use, like, if you're on a plane or something, right? Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know if I've had Juan do it on a plane, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah. something you can take with you. So. Well, maybe you know, maybe Nintendo's really, you know, thinking forward here and hedging their bets on VR, and, and they maybe they're trying to position themselves as the company who brings affordable VR to the masses. Yeah. Like they did affordable motion controls to the masses with the Wii. So maybe this is their way of trying to somewhat re- possibly recapture that lightning in a bottle success it's, with the Wii. I mean, it's, and that's kind of it. Like, right now, we've seen, like, there's that Google Cardboard thing. It's practically free. They get them out for free. Yeah. Uh, and it turns your phone into a low-end VR device. So it wouldn't cost that much for Nintendo to do something similar, uh, you know, as perhaps an accessory down the line. You know, it, would, it wouldn't be, I doubt it. Well, actually, they could package it in the game, maybe. Who knows? But yeah, that... A lot of people assume that they would shoot high-end. I think they would shoot for the low-end, at least initially. So, But again, who knows if there's any merit to this rumor. But I, the handheld thing did stand out to me as being interesting, because I wouldn't be surprised if this actually maybe is a you know a handheld that connects to your TV, serving as a pseudo-console as well. A handheld they can play at home. But yeah. We'll see. <laughs> I, I just... I just Again, this is just adds more fuel to the NX Fire. I just want to know what this thing is already. That's it. I want to know what it has, what it does. Like it's just this. Th- this thing has to be the second coming of Jesus at this point to not be disappointing. 
I, I mean, you know, it's it's going, like, I think it's going to disappoint a lot of people because yeah. there are a lot of people expecting Nintendo to shoot for the ultra high end again for whatever yeah, they reason. Are. And Nintendo, Nintendo hasn't done that in quite some time. And it's been proven time and time again. This Actually, this generation might be the exception that it's very, very rarely the person that has the most powerful system that actually ends up winning that generation. So, yeah. well, company. I don't know why I said person. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah I, know, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, we'll see. I just, yeah, I want to know what it is. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, after E3, it has to happen sometime soon, right? Before the end of the year, so... You, you would think so, but with Nintendo, there are no absolutes. There, so. really, there really aren't. Like, I'm at, actually at the point, we were discussing this a bit before the podcast. I'm also at the point where I'm not even expecting to launch in March anymore. Like, I would not be surprised if it gets pushed later in the year. Yeah. So, like, maybe a late summer, uh, you know, early fall release, or fall release. Well, and it's, it's definitely having an effect on our audience. I, I was tweeting uh, back and forth with a few people on uh, online talking about, you know, have you ever, they, they straight up asked, have you ever considered just dropping Nintendo coverage because they're not really doing a whole lot anymore and just switching to PlayStation and Xbox? And of course not. We would never do that. But, you know, there it, it, there has been a definite scaling down of discussions for us to do and, and overall stuff for us to cover there in the are, last couple of months. I mean, I can, I can see it in our traffic. Our tra- the traffic is down year over year because there's yeah. nothing going on right now. Um, I mean the Pokemon, you know, the Pokemon stuff is great whenever that comes out. But yeah. beyond that, we are we're 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 gonna you're gonna start seeing some different content from us <laughs> just because we have to come up with new new video ideas to cover in this uh, complete drought of Nintendo news. And it, it, even this year, like E3 is usually for every website a huge you know the biggest time of year generally or one of the biggest yeah. times of the year. And I'm confident it's going to be less than it usually is at least for Nintendo coverage. It, so. it feels like there's very little hype for E3 this year. It really does seem that way. I mean, yeah. partially because Nintendo is barely going to be there. Um, and then a, a lot of the other news has leaked out before. Before, Like, assuming they announced the new Xbox and PlayStation 4 is there, we already know pretty much everything about those already. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely a weird time. A weird E3 time. Yep. Well, shall we move on? I think so. All right, well, um, another game on everyone's minds right now is Overwatch. You can't, you really can't get online at all and, and really browse anything gaming, really, without hearing or someone talk about Overwatch or seeing some news story about Overwatch. And it's been, I think it's safe to say it's been an incredibly resounding success. And, uh, in fact, it already has 7 million players who have logged over 119 million hours. Jesus. Which is, that's insane. Like, the game hasn't been out for more than a couple of weeks. It hasn't. I mean, for comparison, I think that's I think that's more units than than Splatoon has sold in a year. <laughs> yeah, basically, that's, that's huge. There's a huge amount of people playing this game. Um, so yeah, I mean, even Derek's playing it, right? So yeah, no, D- Derek has has made no secret of his uh, you know kind of excitement for the and passion for the game, and a lot of people feel that way. You're seeing fan art pop up everywhere, and people have really taken to these characters. and And personally, it's not really the kind of game that interests me. So I've more or less kind of passed right over the Overwatch hype, but you can't completely ignore it. I mean, it's everywhere. Would the shooters even interest you much in general? Not really. I mean, yeah. it's they, they have to be very specific shooters. Like like Deus Ex Human Revolution, uh, that really interested me because of the world and right. the story that it took place in. But, yeah, shooters in general really aren't my thing. Yeah. But, yeah. I, mean, I, like, I used to like them a lot more than I do now. Then I just entered burnout with them. But I do... Th- from what I've seen of Overwatch, it does look like it it brings something new to shooters to some yeah. degree. And that's what I like. Like that's why I like Splatoon. It felt so fresh and new. So yeah, I should probably go over Overwatch a shot because um 
Actually, there are, there are a couple shooters I want to give a shot. I want to give Overwatch a shot. I want to give Doom a shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've heard great things about both those games. I have too, actually, yeah. It feels like we're, I don't know, it almost feels like we're in kind of like a resurgent. Well, that's a weird thing to say. A resurgence for me, at least, of my interest in shooters. Because really? it felt like for a while there wasn't much going on there that interested me, so... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I do hear a lot about Doom. It's still not enough to interest me. I mean, I'll probably... I, I already can tell you that I'm going to play the absolute hell out of Deus Ex Mankind Divided when it comes out. Yeah. And that was actually supposed to be out already, and it got delayed to August. Um, but that's probably one of my most anticipated games of the year. So, you know, if, if it's done right specifically for the kind of things I like, I mean, I'm all about playing a shooter. But typically, it, it takes a little more to get me into the idea of playing one. Yeah, I mean, same here. I mean, the, the appeal of Doom is just that it goes back to the more old-school style mechanics. Right. Um, granted, I don't know if they hold up or not. I tried play, I actually did try playing on my PC, but probably my graphics card isn't quite up to snuff. Oh, so, really? Yeah, a little bit disappointing. Well, that that kind of that, that speaks directly to the uh, to the last episode of Real Talk, where we talked about PC gaming versus console gaming. Yeah, it does. That's right. Yeah, which is an interesting discussion. You should get if you haven't listened to it, you guys should go listen to it right now. You should do it. Yeah, shut this one down. This one sucks. <laughs> yeah, this one's terrible. One. <laughs> uh, you know, one other thing that about Overwatch that interests me is that there have been some comparisons drawn to Street Fighter V because there are. Some people who are upset, obviously a very vocal minority, who are upset that Overwatch doesn't really have a single-player campaign. It is all focused on the multiplayer experience. And, you know, I think there were, there were some people, you know, who kind of felt that might affect Overwatch in the same way that it has affected Street Fighter V, but clearly that's not the case. You know, I, I, I'm okay with that. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, yeah. I feel like, especially for shooters where the campaign so often feels so, so divorced from the multiplayer, like, they're basically mm. two different games. Whereas Street Fighter isn't. You play single player, you play multiplayer, it's the same game, just with people versus CPUs. Uh, that's not the case for shooters, and I think it's fine for them to focus on one instead of the other. I mean, I was I was surprised that Splatoon actually managed to fit both in there, and I, yeah. I would have been okay if they hadn't done that. I, I just, I, I, yeah. I guess I wonder why Street Fighter V is getting taken to task for it, when it's essentially the same thing. I mean, it's obviously not a shooter, but the, but Street Fighter games and, and you know competitive fighting games in general really live and die on their multiplayer and their competitive experience, not on the single-player arcade mode experience. So I'm not, I'm not criticizing Street Fighter fans for wanting you know the missing single-player content, you know the, the arcade mode and such. I'm just wondering why Overwatch gets a pass and Splatoon gets a pass to a degree, but not Street Fighter V. That's a good one. I mean, because you know? I'm trying to think, I'm not a big Street Fighter person, but I'm thinking, like, in terms of Smash Brothers, I'd be totally fine if they just drop all single-player modes from that game. I really don't care about them. It's more than yeah, single-player Yeah, I don't know. Although, I will say, Smash Wii U, the one negative point I had about it was that the single-player content wasn't as robust as in previous games. Maybe that's why I don't care, because... Sure, yeah. I mean, especially, like, uh, the single-player I didn't care about in Brawl much. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, the- it wasn't that robust in Smash 4, and I was okay with that. Like, I... I can't remember to what extent I talked about that in my review. Um, so. But the Subspace Emissary was such a, a wonderful gaming experience. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. It was, it, was, it was the cornerstone of Brawl. It really could, was, yeah. right? <laughs> God. <sighs> um, so yeah, it's just, it's just an interesting, you know, it, it, it's odd to see Street Fighter V get taken to task so much. And not well, that they don't deserve it. Partially, but, it's, exp- it's expectations, right? Street Fighter has historically had single sure. player. All of a sudden, it doesn't. Whereas Overwatch is a brand. Overwatch new IP. is a new IP. That's true. Yeah, yeah that's a very good point. Expectations for it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and I guess if you're charging the same price too, I don't know if they were or not. I can see why people might be upset by that. It, no, it's a, it was a full price retail game, like sixty yeah. bucks. So and and especially at launch, there there are two, almost three new characters now. But 
especially at launch, for 60 bucks for the amount of content you get was not very much. Right. Or, or I should say was a lot because you didn't, you didn't get very much content. So, yeah, it's just yeah. interesting to see. But, yeah, I mean, you know, more power to Blizzard for Overwatch. It's it's going really really well for them. Seems to be. Absolutely. And you hop in before everyone gets super good at the game. It's impossible to learn how to play. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> now, on the other hand, or on the other, on the other side of the spectrum, we have the Steam Machines, which uh, we now know have only sold 500,000 units in the first seven months, which We're- is... That's a bigger failure than the Wii U. That's like that makes the Wii U look like a resounding success, <laughs> yeah. which is hard to do. That's impressive. I know it's true. So, yeah, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. Like, I felt like there was no beyond the initial announcement. It felt like there was like no hype for this. It's um, true. Although when when during the initial announcement, you'd think that they announced like something incredible because people true. are so hyped for it, and like this is going to change the landscape of gaming together. Steam machines. This is it. This is the future. And then nothing. I mean, it, it kind of shows like that console versus PC divide. I don't know if you can really combine them to combine the two and make it work. If you're a PC gamer, you want you probably want to play PC games on your PC with your bouncing keyboard exactly. and a proper setup where you can upgrade your equipment. And if you're not into that, then the consoles already have you covered. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm not really sure that that's that those are two things that need to be merged, or I don't know if they should be merged or if they really can be because. Consoles and PCs offer very different experiences. Not, neither one is better or worse. They just offer different experiences. Yeah. And Steam machines, I, I feel like it, it's kind of like the Ouya as well. Like you know, every console that has ever tried to bridge that gap and kind right. of combine the best of both worlds ends up failing miserably. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it is either. It, it just yeah, it, it seems like a console with almost no pur- no purpose. Um, especially because you can already connect your your computer to your tv if you want and use uh big screen mode in in steam and easily access all your content that way so it just, yeah it doesn't make sense especially because some of these machines like aren't necessarily cheap and uh you're going to get much less performance than you would out of a a machine you custom built right so it was weird it was just i, I think a misguided um idea to start with so right and also, I don't find the controller particularly great either. Like, it's not going to be as good as a mouse and keyboard. And I like that they try to do something new, but I think they went too far, too far with it. Like, having, I don't think you need two touchpads, for instance. Those things are just weird to me, and it certainly don't function as a D-pad replacement. So yeah, or well, even a arrow key replacement on your keyboard. Yeah, exactly. And one something else I noticed is that I don't really see a lot of console gamers pining for the features of PC gaming, and vice versa. I don't really see a lot of PC gamers saying, oh, I wish I had these console gaming features. I don't think both camps really care for crossing over that much. I don't think they do. I mean, the the only appeal I can see of this is if you wanted to play PC games without the hassle of dealing with a PC. But I don't think... I, I don't think there's that much crossover as you mentioned. Plus, most of these or a lot of these games are already coming to both platforms anyway. So you, you yeah. probably own a console if that was what interested you, right? Yeah. So I can't say I'm surprised. Um, yeah, me neither. It just, it just serves it serves a, a need that really that no one's really asking for. Yeah, it's a very niche audience, a very yeah. niche audience. And, yeah. Uh, I I honestly don't see them lasting that much longer. I mean, I don't see what the uh, motivation is for even manufacturers to put them together. If they're not selling that many, what's the point? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, well, all right, we'll move on to our last bit of news in, which is something that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, yeah. It just came out a couple days ago that uh, Chrono Trigger's director says he would love to see a new version of the game. And, sir, you are far, far from the only one who feels that way. Can I just say that? 
Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I think it's a safe bet. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the most beloved RPGs of all time, and, and it's my favorite game of all time, period. So, you know, when I, I, I a few people tweeted this at me, and it's exciting, but at the same time, it's not, because it really isn't up to him. It's up to Square. And, you know, again, Square is the IP holder. They don't really seem to be all that interested in doing anything other than Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts right now. Um, so I don't know if anything's ever really going to come of this, but it's great to know that he would be on board if it, ha- if it ever happened. I think, you know, I really do think it's just a matter of time. You think I, so? I think at some point, I don't, I'm not going to give you any kind of timetable. Like, the, don't play with maybe. my heart. Don't, don't do this to me. <laughs> I, think, I think it will happen at some point in the, at some point in the next 30 years. <laughs> next <laughs> 30 years. Wow. Um, but I'm actually amazed it hasn't happened already. I mean, there was Chrono Cross, but... I'm kind of amazed that they didn't do more with that series. Like, Chrono Trigger was a gigantic game, and a game that is close to many people's hearts. Even, I mean, I love that game. It was a, yeah. really, it was a really fun game. And it's, it's just shocking to me how they didn't decide to do anything more with that universe beyond Chrono Cross. So, um, but I do think it's something that there is a huge following of. Like, there's a, there's a massive fan base that wants more of that series. So I do think it would be just a matter of time before it happens at some point, but... Well, I'm hoping sooner than later. Me too. I mean, they sure have left that, you know, it, it's a massive cliffhanger at the end of Chrono Cross. And, and, I mean, there's so much left to explore in that universe. There's so much untapped potential and so much story that they kind of have hinted at but haven't really given to us. And, you know, remember there was that trademark for Chrono Break that they had for years that they let expire, which is one of the saddest video game news days of my life. Right. Um, so, you know, they, they at least seem to have preliminary plans to do something with the series for a while, and then but for whatever reason, that, that just kind of petered out. But I do recall back when Chrono Trigger DS came out, um, someone related to the game or you know, in Square said, hey, if you want to see more Chrono Trigger, buy Chrono Trigger DS because they're using sales of that game to, to kind of gauge interest in the series. And as far as I know, it sold well. But maybe not well enough to convince them to go all in on it. I don't know. Maybe? Yeah, that's a good one. That was yeah, that was some time ago now, wasn't it? <laughs> it yeah, seems- I mean, and, and I, I recall hearing that they were pleased with the sales of it, but it didn't turn into a new game, so... Well, I don't know. It, it, the, the whole It's very strange what they did with Chrono, or what they haven't done with Chrono Trigger, because yeah, you, as yeah. you said, it has a huge following. It has enough awareness that they wouldn't really, it's not like a new IP for them. I, like, I feel they could, they could get some mileage out of it. It really felt like it could have been another Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy pillar, right? Yeah. I felt like there's so much more they could have done with that series. I mean, especially with given, I don't know, just, I mean, given the direction they already took with Chrono Cross, I feel like there's any number of ways it could have kept that series going, and they just dropped it. So, yeah, it's, it's very weird, and it would be. I, I, here's a question: If they brought it back, would you want to see it done in like full, true 3D, like they're doing with you know, like Final Fantasy does these days, or would you want to see it or, or have it be like more retro? In That's really hard. I mean, I, I almost feel like it wouldn't feel like Chrono Trigger if it was in full 3D. I mean, it could. I just I think it would be weird to have a full 3D sequel to the original game. Like, I almost feel like they, if they're, if they're going to go the full 3D route, I feel like they would have to remake the original game first. <laughs> you know? Because I, I feel like then you have this kind of, this problem of, like, IP, like, identity crisis, where you have, like, the original game, which is fully 2D, one of the most beloved 2D games of all time. Then you have Chrono Cross, which is kind of like the sequel that only half of the fan base likes. Right. And then you have this next sequel that's all 3D. Let's say it's you know a AAA game, PS4, Xbox One, whatever. Like that's a very strange progression for for a single IP. 
Mm-hmm. So I feel like they would almost need to start start fresh and remake the original game in 3D and then go from there. So I, you know, I don't know how I feel about what I would want them to do with the series. Um, it feels weird because they never had that transition like Final Fantasy had or any exactly. other series had. Yeah, I, so I think I, yeah, I think I would really like to have seen a 3D remake in the vein of like Final Fantasy IV uh, for the DS. Like a kind of like a lo-fi 3D remake. I think that like with chibi characters, I think that could have worked really well. Would have made it? Yeah, I think if they could do something in the style of the animated cutscenes that they added to the PlayStation version, if they could somehow like, like if they made a cell shaded. Oh, kind of like Dragon Quest, uh, Dragon Quest Heroes. Yeah, this, to that. Yeah, exactly. That could work really well, actually. Right. Now that I think about it. Yeah, don't don't go the realistic, uh, you know, 3D. Re- yeah, go with a cell shaded look. Right. I yeah, think I think that could work incredibly well. And in, in fact, now that you've brought that up, I really want it to happen. <laughs> like, imagine if they got Toriyama involved in a cell shaded, like, authentic looking version of Chrono Trigger. That would be amazing. That could be so cool. Well, and actually, that that well, this reminds me of a kind of somber point. Like, this is something they like. If they want to get the original developers on board. This is something that should happen sooner than later. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of sad, but that Dream Team—they're not getting any younger, and. Yeah. They're all, you know, I, I think they all at separate points, I could be wrong on this, but I think they all at separate points have said they would all be interested and willing to come back and work on a new game. But, uh, of course, they're all, you know, they're all scattered to the winds now. They're all working on their own things at different right. companies. So it's not necessarily feasible for that to happen. And that may be why, honestly. Like, that could be absolutely why Square never really revisited Chrono Trigger because they knew they had struck gold with it. Mm-hmm. And, and to make another Chrono game after Chrono Cross, it doesn't have the Dream Team involved. Maybe isn't something they thought would go over well. Maybe. Yeah, that is possible. Uh, see, now I don't want to live in a world without a cel-shaded <laughs> remake of Chrono Trigger. Oh, man, I know. Now I don't, I don't want to either. What have I done? I know. Well, on that note, I guess it's a good time to move on to our topics for this week. I guess so. And uh, remember, these topics come to us from our Patreon backers, and just for uh, $1 a month, you can uh, you know suggest topics for us to listen or for us to uh, talk about every week, and you get access to the pod- each podcast three days early. So it's a, a worthwhile investment if you like hearing us talk about random things. I like the idea of one dollar a month being an investment. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, for some people, I guess it is. So uh, that's that's true. Yeah. And and hey, it's it's an investment into us and and just listening to us talk about random stuff. So I, I think- can't. It just—I think it just—it I just like the idea of us like being considered an investment. Like we're like like we're that valuable. That's what I mean. I think it, it's very flattering that people want to spend it's money true. just to talk to hear us talk about stuff. We really do appreciate it. So I, if only everybody was like that, right? Like the random person I just walk by on the, on the sidewalk. Hey, just let me give you money. Talk to me about something. It's usually the opposite way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're just give me money and leave me alone. Yeah, that'd be right. Yeah, right. yeah. So, uh, would you want to do you want to start things off for us? Yeah, I guess I will. So, this comes to us from I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Veronica Budian, Budian. I want to say it's Bodian, maybe Bodian. Yeah, yeah. I'm terrible with names. <laughs> uh, and she asks uh, that she just learned about the game Dead by Daylight, and it got her thinking. What are your thoughts on asymmetrical gaming, and how do you think it fits into the game community? So, um, I actually hadn't even heard of this game before this discussion. I actually went to go look it up. Same here, actually. And while the game, I can't say that game itself appeals to me, I love the idea of asynchronous gaming. In fact, some of my favorite gameplay multiplayer experiences have been uh, via asynchronous games. Um, I, I always, I mean, of course, Nintendo Land is the most recent or big example I can think of for Nintendo fans, at least. 
And I had a blast with that. That was like a really fun novel experience, whether it's playing um, Luigi's Mansion and one person's a ghost and you have to sneak around, or you're playing like, the Mario Chase game. Actually, now that I think about it, like, pretty much all the asynchronous games, yeah. uh, or all the competitive ones at least, were basically all the same idea. <laughs> they really <laughs> I, were, yeah. And it gets back to the next game I was going to bring up, which was uh, Splinter Cell Pandora Tomorrow, as well as Chaos Theory, uh, which I loved back in the day. Um, basically, they, the way that started off as, like, they said they wanted to do, like, like they, they treated it like Pac-Man. Like, what if some people are the ghosts and other people are Pac-Man? And uh, that's kind of like where the idea started from, especially with the, um, actually, maybe, oh, I'm trying to think now. Uh, I, I think it ties in other ways, too, but I'm going to butcher it if I try to attempt to fully convey their thought process. But anyways, the idea of that game was one person's, were, some people were the spies, they had to sneak in and get to different, like, um, like computers to hack. Whereas the other people are mercs, which you can only see from a, th- from a uh, first-person perspective. And I just loved that gameplay. Like, it was the most, some of those gripping experiences that I've had. It was so thrilling to try and sneak past other team and players. And it was because of that divide in the gameplay, where you had half the team and players completely different than the other half, with different goals, different gameplay. And it's something I wish we saw more of. It's something, it's probably really difficult to balance, but when you nail it, it is so freaking fun. And I guess, like, even Double Dash, to some degree, can be considered along those lines. Because even though you can play together as a team, each person, ha- each person has different roles. And I kind of dig that about games. I love it when you have different responsibilities and um, just different things to worry about. And it's something I wish we would see more of. Like, I'm disappointed that it seemed to be a big focus of the Wii U at first. And it's something we almost never saw anything of again. Like, Nintendo went all out with Nintendo Land, and then they just forgot about the idea almost entirely. You just wanted an excuse to talk about Mario Kart Double Dash. It's true. I yeah. did. I always do. That's the only reason you picked this topic. <laughs> no, I mean, it, yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, Nintendo Land is still kind of a mainstay at my gaming, you know, parties or gatherings. Like, it's it's just a crowd pleaser. And and I, I agree that I think asymm- asymmetrical gaming lends itself to the purpose of getting non-gamers into the fun as well. Because there are different roles for the same game. You know, each person can have their own role. And I think that helps bring non-gamers into the fold. It's not quite as intimidating. You don't have to necessarily be amazing at, uh, at working a controller or playing video games in general to get into asynchronous gaming. And mm-hmm. I think Nintendo is onto something there. And I agree that they kind of... There is still some focus uh, later on in the Wii U's lifespan on that, but not nearly as much. They, they really came strong out of the gate with the Wii U uh, you know, talking really just kind of without championing uh, asynchronous gameplay. It's like one of the main cool things the Wii U could do that other consoles could not. And then, yeah, you know, they did a little bit, bit of it with Game & Wario, and I think some of Game & Wario worked really well. But, yeah, kind of after that, I mean, you see some, you see kind of an example of it in Star Fox Zero, but it's only two players as opposed to four right. or five. So, yeah, you know, you don't see a whole lot of it. Um, I wish, I, I, again, I agree with you, I wish we had seen more, and maybe we will on the NX. I don't necessarily think it works as well for certain scenarios though like I thought I thought uh, New Super Mario Brothers U like that whatever it was the, like the assist mode or whatever they wanted to call it where one person has the gamepad who's creating blocks oh yeah that was, gar- that was garbage yeah I mean and, but even that could be called asynchronous multiplayer but I don't you know it's, it's, it, to, to a point it's a buzzword when, it, when it's implemented well it's awesome like in Nintendo Land but then you can kind of point to these games like New Super Mario Brothers U where they use it as, as little more than a buzzword. And yeah, technically, it's asynchronous, but it's really dull. Right, yeah. You no, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think there's so much potential there, so much untapped potential. 
Um, and it's something I would like to see more companies capitalize on, which is why, actually, Dead by Daylight, even the gameplay itself, doesn't uh, interest me that much, from what I saw, at least. And yeah. who knows, it might be way different to play. Like, I, I'll bet you, like, uh, Splinter Cell doesn't look that exciting to watch either, but when you're in it, it is freaking amazing. Uh, and I just, you know, if this takes off, maybe it'll encourage even more developers to experiment with it. I, yeah. I do think it is just innately a more difficult thing to figure out. Because it it basically doubles amount of things you have to work with, and then you have to balance those factors against each other. Um, and they did a pretty good job in Nintendo Land, though. I hope that the gameplay was so simple. But even like Luigi's Mansion, like um, uh, in Nintendo Land, the gameplay like if you don't have the right amount of players, uh, the balancing can be thrown off pretty quick. Yeah, it can. So it's something that is really tricky to work with. But I when it works, like it is some of the most fun I've had with multiplayer, and it's really I think it really is an untapped area that I wish more would explore. Yeah, so. I and mean, I think it can even be more rewarding. And, and the rare cases where you're able to get a room full of like hardcore gamers together and, and play something like the Metroid game in Nintendo Land, where it is designed for you know every participant to know you know the, 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 that is a game that's designed where everyone needs to have some know-how how to play video games. It's not necessarily a casual, friendly experience. Right. And I think that's okay because the few times where I was able to get people together to play Metroid, people who knew how to work like the Wii Remote and aiming, it was so fun. Like, that Metroid game is unbelievably good when you have a room of like-minded gamers to play. Oh, man, I had... Well, I, even just playing single-player, I love that game. That's true. Yeah, even single-player is awesome in that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. Like, that game is great. Although, in my case, I actually didn't like the spaceship that much. Oh, really? So, I wouldn't... So, yeah, that for me, it's not like a great example of asynchronous, but I was totally fine if everyone was on foot, for instance. Oh, okay. So. See, I actually kind of enjoy the ship, but I can see why you wouldn't. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I wish we I wish we had seen more of that. And Nintendo Land actually sold decently. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it did come with the console. But I, I would love to see a sequel with even more ideas of that nature. You or, know, I kind of think we would have seen a sequel if the Wii U had done better. Yeah, we probably would have. Yeah. There are a lot of franchises that Nintendo could built on and uh, in, you know, different ways, but... Well, you know, and it, and it could be argued, too, that, that a, lot of the, a lot of today's multiplayer games that are so popular, even, even if they weren't designed from the ground up to be asynchronous experiences, they have asynchronous elements that people really enjoy. Overwatch, for example, that is incredibly team-based. Uh, you know, it, it, every person on a team has a specific role, and, I, and I've seen it said a lot of times on various forums, just kind of while reading about the game, that it is not a game where you can play the hero and succeed. Like, right. you, have to, you have to be part of a well-oiled machine. And that in itself is kind of asynchronous, because each person on the team has their own role. Yeah, that's true. I guess, I mean, yeah, there, there have been tons of types tons of those type of games. Like, exactly. That's a, that's a class-based shooter. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, I don't look at those quite the same way. I'm trying to figure out what that divide is. Well, I think I think it's because they weren't designed from the ground up to be asynchronous. Right. They I mean, have you... certain asynchronous elements that people like. Right. But it's just interesting to see that kind of DNA of asynchronous you know, gameplay design in other games, and it's something that people really appreciate. So I think yeah. Nintendo is really onto something. They just didn't, as Nintendo often does, they didn't quite follow through. Oh, I, they, I forgot one of the best examples. Do you remember the uh, what was it, the the Frenchie mode in um, or the beach mode? I should say in Conquer's Bad Fur Day. I don't remember that. No. Oh my god! Did you, yeah. did you play the multiplayer in that game? No, I didn't. Oh, it was so good. But I didn't like Conquer that much in general. I just Conquer. I don't know. Eh, I don't know. Well, you don't have to like Conquer like the multiplayer. Like I had a bunch yeah. of different mini games, and they okay. were probably the best part of that game in gotcha. my opinion. Um, actually, there were a couple different asynchronous modes. Now that I think about it, they had one mode where you, you were playing as uh, cavemen and or dinosaurs, 
uh, the caveman had to go steal the dinosaur's eggs, or the dinosaur had to take down the caveman. Okay. Um, now that mode was actually completely broken. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, it was completely unbalanced. But the, the beach one was actually a lot better balanced. So that's where some people were playing as the teddies, and they were holed up in this compound, and they had to shoot the Frenchies as they were trying to storm up the beach. And that was just a... It was a really fun mode where... Um, you know, one half of the one half of the people playing are trying to trying to escape or trying to live, and the other half are trying to take them down from a very with very limited circumstances or under very limited circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's something I just wish I want to see more of. I think there's so much potential there. Well, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to recall that you did think that Star Fox Zero's co-op worked, right? You you, you kind of liked it. I did. Yeah, I mean, it 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 was fine. It it was. I mean, yeah, it was fine. Like it was. Yeah. Now I haven't had a chance to try Star Star Fox Zero multiplayer. I want to, but that is kind of asynchronous in nature, correct? Because you know both players have their own specific roles. Yeah, it's like it's like Double Dash. Yeah. So you, okay. I guess the reason it doesn't stand out to me is because you're not playing competitively against another person. It's right. Just a co-op experience. Um, whereas Mario Kart, you can be competitive against other people. So right. or Double Dash, I should say. Right. But you, yeah, you, you I just mean, want to talk about Double Dash. We should. I do. Make I just this, want to bring it back. Double Dash podcast. We should just every week more <laughs> yeah. Double Dash. How how what would your immediate reaction be if they announced Double Dash Two at E3 this year? Not I would be like happen. I would be like Derek when Kingdom Hearts Three was announced. Yeah, I would nice. like levitate out of my chair and he and I be... both were just we were like little girls. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I, I would be I would be stoked. I mean that actually was what disappointed me most with Mario Kart Eight. Even though I very much liked the game by itself. I'm like, why aren't they taking advantage of the gamepad? This is the perfect time for them yeah. to make a true double dash sequel, where like the person gunning can actually aim with a gamepad, but yeah. they didn't do anything like that. So. That would have been so cool. I never thought about that. Yeah, you could. You, they, they would have like free or full 360 degree freedom to aim shells, for instance. Although, although I guess when you only have one gamepad working per console, it doesn't work quite as well. But they they said two could work. But okay, but then not without a not without a drop in performance necessarily because they have to render a whole another instance. Well, yeah, that's always been the case for multiplayer game, for Mario Kart multiplayer games. It always runs at thirty. So yeah, yeah. I, well, then, I, I would yeah. take I would gladly taken that hit for it to. Uh, and you know what? Even Star Fox pulled it off at sixty frames per second, so they simplified the art style a bit. They couldn't make it work. Well, then what do you, what do you do then for the third and fourth players? Who you know? What if you get a full you know four player? To, you know, you have four sets of players, and two of them don't have game pads. Well, that's no different than how Double Dash worked. In that, mm-hmm. two people were gunning, two people were driving, so they right. just use um, pro controllers to drive. Right, right. True. Well, wow, that would have been really cool. I, I love that idea. And then there's an online factor too, which mitigates all of that. Yeah, that's also true as well. <laughs> wow. Ah, maybe, maybe, maybe they do need to. I never really felt like they needed to revisit Double Dash as much as you have. I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. But maybe you're kind of starting to make me think maybe they should revisit that idea. Yeah, I think there's. A, I, I think that's the idea where the most potential uh, still lies. Yeah, like, I feel like they've. I mean, I feel like they've, they've kind of like tapped Mario Kart as much as they can without going back to what Double Dash has or doing something dra- dramatically different. Right. Um, but now they're in the point of just refining what they've already done, and I would love to see them go back and really just explore some of those earlier concepts. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not a fan of that new, approach. That's the new Super Mario Brothers motto. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I understand. I mean, it's not the most exciting approach, but it certainly is the safest one. Yeah, it's true. It definitely is. Yeah. I mean, I'll still like them, but, you know, there there does come a point where, like, I want to see something more. And I don't think we're, we're necessarily there with Mario Kart. Right. But I could see myself burning out on the next one even sooner than, or sooner than I had before, if they yeah. don't do something new. So... 
Cool. Well, uh, I think we pretty much uh, covered that topic, yeah? I think so, yeah. All right. Well, my topic this week comes from Mojack411, who asks, uh, tell us about your earliest experience with video games, including your very first one, if you can remember it. Uh, they still remember when they were a wee little wee little lad, and, and uh, their mom, I'm using their because I don't know if you're his or her, but their mom handed me a Game Boy Pocket with Super Mario Land in it to keep their mind off of flying in an airplane for the first time. Uh, which is an awesome memory to have. I love that that's your first experience with video games. Like, yeah. what, a, what a cool first memory to have of uh, gaming. And as it turns out, I very clearly remember my first uh, video gaming experience. Um, and it's, it's a memory I treasure, honestly. It's, uh, so it was, I was, I think, five years old, and it was Christmas, and I got an NES. And I, I can't remember if I had been wanting one or pining for one or if my parents just thought it would be something I'd really like. I think it's maybe kind of a combination of both. But either way, I got an NES with uh, Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt uh, for Christmas. And I think also the original uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles by Ultra Game, which was the label of Konami back then. And um, so those are my two launch games that I got with my NES. And, uh, man, my world was changed, like, immediately. I, I had nothing in my life had affected me like the NES did up to that point. I was just like, what is this? This is so cool. And, you know, back then, I was just sitting on the floor. We, you know, it wasn't lavish sofas with HDTVs. Like, I was sitting on the floor in front of my, like, 12-inch CRT TV. You know, it was it was a totally janky gaming experience, but it was so magical. And I remember, I'll never forget, really, playing through Super Mario Brothers with my mom. Because that was, be, you know, back then, my mom could keep up because I wasn't, like, a hardcore gamer then. So we, were, we would play together. And uh, it was everything we could do to get to World 1-4. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we finally got to World War Four. We got to what we call the castle. And we were really excited, and we get to Bowser, who, and, and, and you know, for me, my five year old self was the dragon. Like we got to the dragon. How do we beat the dragon? So <laughs> finally, get past the dragon. Bowser falls in the lava, and we're like, okay, you know, we beat the game. We did it. And then World Two One appears, and my mind, my was blown. Like I'm like, oh my god, there's, there's more. more than one four <laughs> two one. How big is this game? Like this oh, is. Man. Impossible, and of course, then I, you know, I eventually found out how long it actually was. But you know, it was it was a magical experience, and it's something that'll always be with me. And it was a great first gaming experience to have. And of course, from then, you know, from then on, that was it. I was I was hooked, and my parents knew that it was something that, you know, it wasn't just a common obsession. It was something that I really that was really important to me that I wanted to make part of my life in the future. And they thankfully recognized that and fostered it. And here I am today talking about it. Um, but uh, yeah, you know that, that's really my first uh, gaming experience, and that it's a very fond memory for me. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, that's a, that sounds like a really fond memory. I actually, so I'm not entirely sure if I, if I truly remember my first one. I think I do, uh, and is not quite as happy. But I usually uh. was more. It was more of a coping thing for me. Oh no! What happened is, um. I so we had to go to the we went to the hospital for some reason. I think it might have been when my sister was no when she was being born. I can't remember or it was it was some checkup or something. I was like three or four, so it wasn't for my sister, but it was for some reason. And anyways, the one of the nurses noticed that I wasn't I wasn't talking properly, which should come to as no surprise to anyone who listens to any of my videos. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently I was born uh tongue tied. So I wasn't able to like move my tongue properly. Oh, interesting. So I had to go in like a couple weeks later, and they actually like just basically just cut the flesh that like was holding it to uh, the bottom of my mouth. Huh. And 
So I remember them. They kept giving me uh, popsicles after afterward. I was in so much pain. I just kept dropping the popsicles. Oh. Uh, like go, going through all these popsicles. I was just in a ton of pain. So we get oh, home, bet. and uh, I, I don't fully remember all the details myself. I remember you know bits and pieces. My parents remember better than I do. Uh, but I just remember being like in a lot of pain. I was like lying there doing nothing, and my dad turned on his computer and. He had got in the mail, I guess, or something. I don't even know how he got it, but there was this the game he got. It came out on one of those like you know three and a half floppy inch discs. Yeah, and it was like a DOS game, and he put it in, and it's a game where you just like you play as like a truck or something, and you push blocks around. Or it's super simple graphics. It was like, a black background. The yeah. shapes are colored. So yeah, you play as a tractor, and you just push your shapes around. It's super simple, but I think that was my first gameplay experience, and it was, and, and being my first like. Or what I'm, I think was my first gameplay experience. Like it just totally engrossed me and it distracted me from the pain and what I was feeling, and it was awesome. I think that's, I think that is what got me into gaming. And then from then on, um, eventually we got like an Atari and an NES. Uh-huh. But I think that might have been my first true gaming experience. And uh, yeah, so it took away, it, it, it entertained me enough to keep me away from or to take my mind off the pain, and that was awesome. <laughs> so I appreciated that. Nice. Well, that's, yeah. that, that's as good as reason as any. Right. So now it's interesting. You say you got a uh, you got an Atari, but we're pretty similar. You know, we're similar in age. So I'm wondering if the difference is that your dad was specifically into technology and electronic games, whereas my parents weren't. They weren't not into them, but they didn't care. They were just like, oh, whatever. Um, my parents uh, they weren't so much into games. I mean, they they play like Pac Man or, oh, okay. or, or arcades or whatever. And my dad would play like Mario Brothers for me a little bit whenever I when, when I finally got that. Mm-hmm. But no, he wasn't much of a gamer. But he was into technology. So okay. Um, he had, you know, at the time, it was like, you know, a state-of-the-art computer, uh, like a, you know, some, you know, some DOS machine, some IBM DOS machine, uh, and he also had, like, a laptop, too, and those were, like, what, 10 pounds back then? Oh, yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, and he actually even wrote programs back in the day, like, he had some of his DOS programs published in magazines that you could... That's awesome. You know, people could program, or people could type them in themselves and make the program function. It was really cool. So yeah, so my dad was always like into technology to some degree, less so these days. That must be uh, the difference then, because I, I could have had an Atari, but I never did. I just started with, with the uh, NES, uh, even though we, we're, we're pretty much the same age. So that's I was just wondering what the difference is there. Right, yeah. Well, I think in that case, the difference was just that my, someone was selling the Atari at my mom's work, and she bought it for me. So. Well, that's not as fun. That's not yeah. as fun a conclusion to draw. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, cool. I think we've we've well covered our first gaming experiences. I think so. Um, and then we have a couple of uh, we have a couple of topics because Derek's not here this week. We're going to pick uh, two topics to cover kind of together. Um, so let's move on to those. And the let's first one is something that I know you're especially excited about. This is actually your topic originally, and this doesn't surprise me at all. And it comes from uh, Emily Shimp, uh, who asks, "What are your favorite and least favorite Pixar movies?" And bonus question: Are uh, either of us planning on seeing Finding Dory this summer? Hell yeah! Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm so hyped for Finding Dory. Finding Nemo. I guess I'll have to go around my answer. Finding Nemo is my favorite Pixar movie. I think that movie hits on every cylinder, whether it's um, you know being dramatic or the the humor, the the emotional resonance that the characters have with me. Like just everything about that movie was pitch perfect. It looked amazing. I mean, it still holds up. It still looks great. Um, and I think that is Pixar at its finest, which is why I'm hyped. For finding uh, Dory, but I never expected. I mean, I thought we were going to sequel far before this, and the fact we're finally getting one now is still shocking to me to some degree. However, I am also hesitant at the same time because I feel like 
I, I think you can almost divide Pixar into two eras. And that is the pre-Cars era and the post-Cars era. Uh-huh. And pre-Cars, I think almost every movie they did was... Almost every movie was like a, a, a just a fantastic experience. And post-Cars have gone a lot more rocky. With Cars 2, of course, being the lowest point. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they've been a lot more uneven in the recent years. And that's why I'm a little bit hesitant about Finding Dory. Because I don't know they have it in them to make the movie that I want them to make these days. Yeah. So... Yeah, so that's where I'm coming from. So my favorite is Finding Finding Nemo. Least favorite is Finding Dory. And oh, oh sorry, I was like, <laughs> no, 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 sorry, no, no, Jesus, <laughs> man, it's been a long, long day already. Man. Yeah, right. The least favorite is Cars Two. Uh, hopefully not Finding Dory, man. That'd be really sad. I know. Uh, and then uh, beyond that, uh, I think the Toy Story movies also rank really highly for me. Although Toy Story Three is the one I care least about. So okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it, you know, I, I think it's unfortunately it's, it's the effect of commercialization. It's like you know they they probably need to have a few, you know, mainstream hits. Uh, you know, for as brilliant as they were Pixar all mainstream be, hits. True, but I feel like they needed you know may, maybe Disney mandated that they have something that kind of you know appeals to the lowest common denominator and doesn't <laughs> challenge kids. You yeah. know, because I feel like as as brilliant as Pixar's movies are. A lot of them are pretty challenging, you know. They're 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 heady stuff as well. They should be. I, I love it when animation doesn't, you know, speak down to kids. And yeah. but I, I my guess is that it was it was a business decision to you know basically say, hey, Pixar, you got to make something that is it really is going to pander to the least common denominator. And Cars is that movie. And Cars two even more is that movie. Yeah, it, it really is. And apparently, those are like the ones last are that are closest to Lasseter's heart, I think. Like, he loves those movies. God, it's so weird, because I agree I, with you. My least favorite Pixar movie easily is Cars. Well, you say Cars 2. I didn't bother seeing Cars 2. I assume it would be Cars 2 if I had seen it. Yeah, it would be. I, yeah. I, I can guarantee you that. But, but I know, stands, I know what you mean. It's that, it's that series. Like, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't care about that series. Yeah. Um, um, my favorite Pixar movie, oh, man, it's hard, because there are so many good ones, but I think I'm going to have to go with Up. Oh yeah, that's not not a bad choice. I adore that movie, and it's it is the go to movie for when I need a damn good cry. You know, sometimes you just have a terrible day and you need to cry it out, and there is no other movie that it will, it will more... do that in the first five minutes. Oh yeah, the first five minutes easily will make you cry, and then if you can yeah. make it to it, for me the one the, the part that always gets me is the part about I'd say seventy five percent of the way through the movie. Uh, when Carl is flipping through his book of memories, right. and he sees the extra part at the end that Ellie left for him, and I'm just like, I can't, I can't yeah. with that part. Oh God, that part is so good. And you know, I love that it's, I love that it, you know, it has an, an basically an old man as a main character. The you know, movies in general are so ageistic, you know, and I think our culture in general suffers from a fair degree of ageism and. It was really nice to see a an elderly man thrust into the main hero role. I thought of a movie, so I thought that was cool. Um, I thought yeah. I really thought all the characters were endearing, and the themes are just so resonant. Like you know, again, in the first five minutes, it opens with a surprisingly real. You know, it gets really real in the first five minutes, where you know, she has a miscarriage, and you know, it's it's really about how your dreams change and how you have to compromise with your dreams over the course of your life as you get older, and it's. A little sad, and it's it's not always the happiest thing. But you know, it really does kind of come down to the point that love is really what it's all about. And it's just it's you know it's 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 super hokey and super corny, but I love it. And it's it's what Pixar does so well. And I just think it's a really unique movie in a lot of ways. I really adore that movie. Dory. That's actually a perfect, <laughs> a good segue into whether I'm going to see Finding Dory. And man, I don't know. 
I have a bad feeling about it. I have to say. Really? I don't. I I don't want to say that because I do. I love Finding Nemo. You know, it's not my favorite Pixar movie, but I I really liked it, and yeah. it's a movie I still continue to enjoy to this day. And I don't want to see its reputation tarnished by an unneeded sequel. And Finding Dory does seem like the definition of an unneeded sequel. It doesn't seem like it needs to exist. Yeah, I mean that's true. But I, I would have said that about Toy Story three as well. Sure, but I mean, Toy Story three did really. I mean, it, it it closed an arc that we didn't really know was happening at the time. Yeah, but they did so by exploring themes that they, they had already explored in two. Sure, that's true as well. Yeah, like the whole abandonment abandonment thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I see. I totally see where you're coming from, especially with like what we know of the plot, or at least what little I know of the plot. Like it does seem similar. What gives me hope, though, I was reading something from Andrew Stanton, the director, recently. I think it was Andrew Stanton. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was saying how Finding Dory originally started off, like, when it started off, like, it went, it actually went through some troublesome times, apparently. And they came to a point where they realized, we are literally just repeating the first movie. Why are we doing this? Um, so that's what gives me hope, because they yeah. realized a problem with it and hopefully corrected it. And I'm hoping Finding Dory does offer more than just what the first one did. Uh, because I don't want just a repeat. Like, it... Part of what I part of what I liked about Finding Nemo was the fact that it didn't feel cliche to me at least. Like right. it felt original, and I don't need a complete retry to those story beats. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm super hyped because I love Finding Nemo, but I'm also at the same time as you, I'm concerned about it because uh, it, it it may not be the same or may not offer like the same level of experience. Uh, also, there's also also the fact it's made by modern Pixar. So right, well, and also. I, I have to say, like none of the trailers have really like it looks beautiful, but it's not that funny. I don't. So think. I've been okay. I've actually been avoiding most of the trailers. Okay. Uh, by design, but I did see an extended scene at D twenty three uh, when I went last year, and the scene they showed, uh, I'll just say it, it involved an octopus. I won't go beyond that. So if you've seen the trailers, you know who I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, but it was hilarious. All right. Like, it was really good. So um, I'm hoping that the trailers just haven't maybe yeah they haven't. Uh, fully shown off all the good things about the movie so well that gives me hope then I, I i don't think i'm quite sold on on whether or not, or not to see it in theaters i mean i know no matter what i'll either see it on in theaters or on blu-ray i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not not going to see it but it's just a matter of when i just don't oh, yeah. know if it's something i need to rush out and see as soon as it comes out or if it's something i can wait for all right, i'm gonna see it as soon as i can oh i see i'm sure yeah <laughs> Yep. So. Well, cool. Well, we have one more shared topic, and actually, yep. that was that was originally only going to be our, our only shared topic, but uh, it turns out two people uh, this week asked the same fun question, uh, which is kind of a strange coincidence. So, this question comes from both Adam Harris and Vince, and they ask uh, if we could have any superpower, what would it be? And to make it fair, what would be our weakness? That's a good one, man. I've I, this one is always a tough one to answer. I know, right? Because there's so many great possibilities. Like, what there super, really are. What superpower I mean, they, wouldn't you want to have? Yeah, right? They're all good. Well, yeah. most of them are good. Well, yeah. I mean, how many superheroes are there out there with different powers? There's tons of them. So, yeah. if I had, it's still for me, if I had to go with one, um, I think I'd have to go with uh, flying. Just because, like, as early as I could... Well, which is funny, but I actually hate flying a plane. I detest it. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but... Uh, I mean, growing up, like the thing I that appealed to me most was like just that that sense of flying. Like I loved uh, in Sword in the Stone when they turn into birds and they're just able to fly around. I thought that movie really did a great job capturing the idea of what it would be like to be able to just fly around freely, as if you were a bird, for instance. Uh-huh. 
And then even beyond that, like in Mario 3, you could fly as a raccoon. And I'm like, damn, this is awesome. Of yeah. course, I wish I could do this. And then in Mario 64, of course, took the concept to a whole new level where you actually had full control in the 3D environment of your fl- of your flying. And yeah, so I think I just I just always wanted to be able to do that for real. Um, just not in an actual plane. <laughs> so, gotcha. Yeah, that's that's one I go with. I go with flying. Well, what would you be your weakness then? To make you have to be fair. Oh, well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I love how you put all this thought into what you want as your superpower. Like, a weakness, eh. Yeah, I mean, like, weakness? I don't know. I'm trying to think. Bullets? That's a weakness, right? <laughs> bullet. that's, what, that's a bullet everyone, or that's a weakness everyone shares. Yeah, I that know doesn't exactly. seem fair. Where do you have that cover? Oh, fine, I'm especially vulnerable bullets. No, it's, one uh, one nice. bullet picks me out. There we go. Especially, okay, so you're, <laughs> you're in, in, insta-killed in. One bullet takes you out. like a shot anywhere, exactly. It's okay. like one hit kills and golden eye. Nice, so I'll say yep. golden gun, okay. Yep. Um, well, this is, yeah, it's, it's always a hard question, but I think I would have to choose, I would want to be like Bobby Drake or like Iceman from the X-Men. So like I just have complete, in, uh, complete, control over anything like all the moisture in the air it just create ice snow you know i can encase myself in ice i can shoot ice blast at others any i love the cold i mean i've made no secret of the fact that i love cold weather i love the snow i love blizzards hell i got snowed in at a convention in chicago last year and i was the only one in the hotel walking around in the blizzard like having a great time so i'm already kind of weird when it comes to cold weather yeah, and that stuff. sounds horrible oh i loved it I, it was great so what are you doing in la what the hell are you doing in la i know then? right born and raised in la yet i love cold weather it's really weird you're in the worst possible place for it. i know it's it's i uh, believe me you're not the first person to tell me that <laughs> but um so i think i would yeah if, if i could have you know control over the cold and just you know ice and water i think i would be very happy. Then I could, you know, be cold whenever I wanted to. And look at the way um, I think it's Frozone uses it in The Incredibles. He, you know, he gets to like create ice slides for him to like. It's basically the same as flying. He just has his unlimited ice power where he creates these like ice slides for him to just, you know, kind of fly down uh, wherever he wants to go. And it's, so it's not quite flying, but it's almost as good. And you get to be cold. So. You know, I, I feel like, you know, you got offense, you got defense, you've got mobility, and you get to be cold. And if you're like me and you like to be cold, then it's a win-win for everybody. You know who else had those powers? Who? Elsa from Frozen. True, she does. Now, I, I'm not nearly as good a singer as Elsa, so <laughs> I probably wouldn't be using my powers while singing at the top of my lungs. Yeah. But, yeah, I wouldn't mind having her powers. Exactly. Like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And naturally, my weakness, which is already kind of my real-life weakness, would be heat. Yeah, yeah, fire, because I already, like, I, I'll tell you what, my wife, anything above, anything below 75 degrees for her is too cold. For me, anything above 75 degrees is too hot, and I don't want to stay inside. So right. I already kind of feel like my weakness is heat. So if, if my superpower is ice, then it goes to follow that my ultimate weakness would have to be heat. That makes sense. That's, uh, I mean, that's the natural Pokemon expectation, right? Yeah, at least, at least <laughs> mine isn't a cop out, like, oh, I'm weak to bullets. <laughs> I'm, natu- I'm, I'm especially natural, weak to bullets. I mean, is there a natural like predator to, to the flying ability? I mean, I feel like there's nothing. There's no natural like nemesis to that, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. And bullets. I mean, arrows and bullets. The sky, yeah, right? I guess so. Like, I feel like that's pretty dangerous. Well, it's true. It is true that I think what flying Pokemon have have a weakness to uh, what is it like rock attacks? I think it is. That's kind of dumb. Who's going to throw... If you fly high enough, you can throw rocks at them. <laughs> well, maybe... Well, I guess if you're a Pokemon, you can launch rocks, right? Like, you know, like yeah, a cannon. Yeah, Like the Sh- Shoot things out of the sky. Uh, Starship Troopers. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think I, I of course all the Pokemon fans watching are gonna if I'm wrong Fine. they're gonna I'll roast wind. me. How about that? Okay, wind is fair. That's that's a that's a better one I think because yeah, not everyone's deal, weak to wind. Deal with some turbulence. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. <laughs> well, I think I think we've definitely covered the superhero the or the superpower topic in depth. I think we did. I think we covered it all. And uh, yeah, I think that about wraps it up for this week. It's uh, that was a good episode eighteen. It was. It went uh, for what? the best even. Hour and a half. I, I just love that there are people out there who want to listen to us talk for an hour and a half. Almost. I don't. I, I definitely checked out about four or five minutes ago. Nice. Nice. <laughs> just stopping it. Well, you checked out after Double Dash. You're like, okay, I've talked about Double no, Dash. I said my piece. Yeah. I don't really need to pay attention anymore. Well, uh, as always, you guys, thanks so much for for watching. We really appreciate uh, that you've supported us thus far in our kick uh, or our, sorry, our Patreon venture. And uh, yeah, this is of course a Patreon back program, and for just a dollar a month. Uh, you not only get uh, access to every podcast three days early, but you also get to become a backer and suggest topics for us to chat about every week. So uh, it's a you know it's, again, as I said before, it's a great investment, and we really appreciate that so many of you out there are supporting us. But uh, well, I think that about wraps up for this week. So thank you guys again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.